Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Roger, roger. <laughs> Today we are finishing up our mini-series on the Star Wars prequels with a conversation about Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. And so we're just going to jump right in. So in the past two episodes, you know, we, we briefly talked, you know, we, not briefly, we talked, we, first episode was, was Phantom Menace. Second one was Attack of the Clones and now we're at Revenge of the Sith. And I'm just, I'm kind of marvel at how I find all these movies bad, but in their own way, as I said on Attack of the Clones. Like, I really think like. They are uniquely bad. They are uniquely, like, I don't think Revenge of the Sith is bad in the same way like Attack of the Clones is bad. Like Attack of the Clones is bad because it's like, it doesn't understand like how to properly tell its genre like it has these weird like it throws more shit at the screen but it doesn't make for more interesting action um it has one interesting plot line as a subplot but then you've got this romance that has no you know emotion to it that's a problem revenge of the sith is just so fucking dull it i was surprised at how bored i was by it especially because it's the one where everything is supposed to be happening. Like this is what it's all been leading to Anakin Skywalker turning to the dark side, becoming Darth Vader. And it's just, it, it moves at a glacial pace. (laughs) And not only that, like there's just the, the central uh, character motivation makes zero sense. It, It doesn't make any sense at all. Like the film is set up so that Anakin Skywalker is, I, In the broad strokes of this trilogy, you can see what George Lucas is like. Anakin Skywalker loved his mommy, but he left his mommy and he feels bad about it. And that started to eat him up. And then, like, in Attack of the Clones, he finds a surrogate mommy in... (laughs) And I'm going to say mommy because that's what it is (laughs) Anakin Skywalker in Padme. But also his his actual mommy dies and he gets really sad and kills a bunch of... A bunch of Tuscan Raiders and including women and children. including women and children to let you know he's bad. Um, and then so in this one, his whole thing is like, I want to defeat death because I've been having bad dreams that Padme is going to die in childbirth. So my whole motivation in this movie is making sure Padme doesn't die. And then at the, at the climax of the movie, he thinks Padme is cheating on him with Obi-Wan and force jokes her. <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Either you love her and trust her and you want her to live or you're like, never mind, force joke. <laughs> it's so bad. See, you were tricking me. You brought him along. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, again, this I don't, I don't hang this on Hayden Christensen at all. I, I really don't. I know some people are like, he's a bad actor and I just, I don't, agree with that assessment uh at least as far as like using the star wars prequels because by that metric so is natalie portman and natalie portman's not a bat no one would say like natalie portman's a terrible actress no she's not but she's in these bad movies that were the director who didn't care about her performance because her performance was not cgi okay here's how i feel about revenge yeah let lay it on me because we've been (laughs) leading up to this conflict that we are actually having on a volcano planet you know, so you know your garbage can in your office that technically has garbage in it, but it's not like nasty garbage. It's mostly like papers, but it's still garbage. 
but it's like not the worst garbage in the world. Like that's Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Revenge of the Smith. Revenge of the Sith, not smelly garbage. <laughs> it's office garbage. Whereas Phantom Menace is oh, smelly garbage that's been out on like a hundred and five degree day and a fire extinguisher burst and got water all over it, uh, and it's just the worst. Um, the like, it's still a bad movie, but I find it interesting, and there are parts of it that I really, really like. The part of it that. Um, I kind of really latch on to every time I see it is the relationship between Anakin and Palpatine, which is very clearly a predator prey situation. And you can read into, uh, I mean, if George Lucas had really like wanted to dive into it, it, uh, it would be, um, you know, uh, a child abuse or like, like, a, an abuser who is grooming, um, this child or or this uh, younger person to do what they want. And so you see him starting to pull the screen strings and you finally get a lot of scenes with Palpatine in this movie that I think are like give Ian McDiarmid some chance to do like acting. Like there are some really great dialogue scenes. I, I think the the scene where the, he's talking about the, the legend of Darth Plagueis yeah. is a legit good scene. It is, it is so it is like I genuinely enjoy watching that scene it's like not even oh it's good in comparison to everything else it is a good scene well and that turn is hard so it's laying the groundwork for palpatine to reveal himself as the sith lord to anakin who is a jedi who should immediately be like nope you're dead like bad seth sith is bad so it's laying the groundwork for how to how does palpatine out himself without anakin immediately killing him and i think it does a really good job and i really like the dialogue in that scene i really like the dialogue in the scene where he does out himself um, where they're kind of walking around and squaring off and Palpatine knows exactly the right buttons to push because he's been pushing them the whole time long. It's kind of it's kind of like that episode of The Office where Andy gets Dwight fired, where he's on the run with Michael and he's like, you know, who's really, you know, I really shrewded it, <laughs> <laughs> really shrewded it. It's just something people around the office say when you like just mess something up. I'm not sure why. Um, maybe to do with Dwight because he always messes things up. But it's kind of like you see a little bit of that throughout the film and throughout the trilogy of Palpatine starting to lay the seeds for Anakin to distrust the Jedi and to be fearful of Padme, to be fearful that she's going to die or that he's going to lose her and to say, like, I am the only one who can fix it. I'm the only one who can make sure that your loved one stays alive and, and whatever. This seems Meanwhile, relevant to our current climate. Anyway, go on. A little bit. A little bit. Meanwhile, in the final scene where he wakes up as Darth Vader and suddenly has a different voice, um, he's like, where's Padme? Or he's like, where is Padme? Uh, and Palpatine's like, oh, you killed her, dude. And like, no tact whatsoever. No, like, oh, you know, uh, Obi-Wan killed her. He's like, oh, you killed her. It was you. You killed her. Yeah. Um, which I find funny. Uh, well, gosh, there's so Because much. it's leading to inevitabilities. Like, the, this movie is leading to things that George Lucas – committed to mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily kind of like game of thrones uh where they're leading to things that they committed to doing and maybe doesn't track entirely so that it's a rough it's a bumpy patch it's a bumpy ride it's a rough patch like why does padme die of a broken heart when she's been built up as this like badass senator who really cares about people that makes why does yeah why does she need to I, why why does she need to die at all? Like, it's a big galaxy. Palpatine could still tell Anakin that she was dead, and then she'd yeah. just live in hiding on, you know, Alderaan or whatever. Like, Well, and why is her reaction to Anakin... 
I mean, her reaction to Anakin immediately is good. She's like, no, screw you. Like, this is bad. And this is something that we can fix in the Senate. Cut to her in a hospital bed. They're like, everything's fine with her. Cut to her in a hospital bed with the creepiest midwife robot ever. (laughs) Who just makes these, ooh, ah, sounds like it's very (laughs) unsettling. Like, I think if you told me that Padme died from being creeped out, I would believe you. (laughs) She died from a broken heart, Matt, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, except it doesn't. It's stupid. Um, there are a lot of stupid things. Again, it's garbage, technically, <laughs> but it, it's not as smelly, not as stinky. So one thing that's that's definitely garbage. Uh, we sh- I wish we had like music and we could do like a whole segment of like how do the Jedi suck this time? Because <laughs> they always suck. They yeah. are so bad. And this time around, um, the Jedi fuck up. Like they don't just like let Darth Vader rise to power. See, in that moment, like Anakin is like. Let's follow the rules. And Mace Windu, poor Samuel L. Jackson, who was like, man, I'll just be a stormtrooper. Just let me be a part of these movies. And Mace Windu turns out to be the biggest fucking hypocrite. He's like, no, let's, fu-, you know, the Jedi rules don't matter. We got to kill him. I actually said that to Samuel Jackson. He did not agree with my take that Mace Windu <laughs> is responsible for the fall of the Jedi. But I think he is. I what think did he say? He's like, I don't agree with that. He was not happy. <laughs> he was not happy at the resurrecting the champ junket when I brought that one up. <laughs> um, but he is. Mace Windu is the one who is responsible. Mace Windu like Anakin in that moment is saying, let's do the right thing. And Mace Windu's like, it's too hard to do the right thing. Let's just kill him. <laughs> At which point the Jedi, like basically uh, Darth Sidious, this whole time has been like the Jedi are hypocrites. You shouldn't listen to the Jedi. And then Mace Windu is like, I will be your exhibit a, and just like completely goes back on everything. The Jedi are supposed to stand for when the going gets tough. Like what yeah. you get, you can't let him live. He's an old man who, by the way, Mike Ryan, um, writer for Uprocks, brought up an interesting point because he recently re- rewatched Re- Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith, which he also dislikes. And he made he asked the interesting question, and I don't have an answer for it. Is in the scene where Palpatine goes from looking normal to looking all fucked up, is that his natural form, looking fucked up, or is he? Cause to look fucked up because his force lightning rebounds onto him. What? See, I always read it as it it was caused by the force lightning. I always read it as it was caused by the force lightning. That's what I thought. Like, oh, his force lightning bounced back on him, and now he looks all fucked up. And like that, like it's not like he was like trying to hide. But I I totally get how you can read it that way because it's not clear. It's yeah. not clear. Like who? Because again. So much about the Darth Sidious stuff has been kept in the shadows. It is kind of weird that we've it takes all the way to Revenge of the Sith to really make Palpatine a fully formed character rather yeah. than some sort of – like it's one thing to be like, oh, and okay, in the first movie you hint at how he's kind of pulling the strings and getting people to do what he wants. But he should have been a bigger character in Attack of the Clones if he's going to be this important in Revenge of the Sith. Well, it feels like George Lucas was trying to play it as a big reveal in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, really? The guy who plays him the whole fucking time might be... Yeah. You can't play something for a reveal in a prequel. We all know where it's going. Yeah. But it's still like... Because you don't really ever get any scenes of him alone or of him, you know, switching between the two personas. So you don't get much. Which is why I really like those scenes between him and Anakin because you you finally get... um, you finally get a sense of like who Palpatine is and what 
what he is doing. And then it just goes away when he turns into a monster. It's like, okay, he's not interesting. Yeah, is- no, at that point, he's just sort of like a creep. Like, he, he has, like, a butt head, and then he uh, he's like, ah, I'll fight you, Yoda. And that's yeah. you know, whatever. It's I don't – at that point, I don't fucking care. Just <laughs> like slice this- him in half like a uh, fucking uh, Snoke. No one cares. Yeah, or Darth Maul. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. Just – This is the thing is, like, people think they want a really interesting backstory, uh, but these movies don't give them that. Meanwhile, you have Kylo Ren sitting right there, who has who is a far more interesting character than Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader, um, and it's because he has actual pathos. Like you know where he's coming from, you know what's going on. Yeah, and actually, honestly, I don't really need more of his backstory, which is one of the reasons I'm a little nervous about uh, Rise of Skywalker. Which is like I don't really need to know about the Knights of Ren. That is no. never that's never really eaten up my uh, my my free time. I just I get I know who who Kylo Ren is. I get like what I get his emotional baggage and I get why he does the things that he does. I don't need to know about his like frat brothers and evil. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. And I desperately want him to do good. I want him to be a good person. And that's the mark of a good villain. Like you want him to change. You yeah. want him to be a good guy. Uh, and yeah, I don't need anything else to, to muddle that. Yeah. The tragedy of, of, of Anakin Skywalker just isn't there. And we talked about that in the last episode, which is that, yeah, he goes too far in Attack of the Clones by killing women and children. He goes too far by being a creepy dude. He goes like he's never you're never really on his side. No. Ever. Even as a child. Even as, even a, child. as a child, he's a fucking jackass. Yeah. Like you've never at no point do you ever like Anakin Skywalker. Um and so there's really no conflict in the audience because the audience likes Darth Vader. Like the audience is already team Vader because Vader's a yeah. cool character. The conflict you needed to have was, oh, being Darth Vader is bad, and this guy is going to lose everything, and like including what made him good, and he was never that good. Like there's just nothing. And again, I'm sure some people are like, "What about the Clone Wars?" I'm like, that doesn't fucking count. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. does. I mean, it's great that there's an animated series, but these are the movies. The movies are the prime text. Yeah, I think we put this disclaimer in in the first episode, but we're reading these as the prequel films. Like we are not reading into, we're not bringing in EU stuff, we're not bringing in, uh, you know, animated series stuff or whatever else was revealed. Or like you may say, like, oh, you know, Thrawn is the most interesting villain in the entire Star Wars universe, and it's like, okay, but he's not been in the movies, so like that's not what I'm talking about here. I have no doubt, like, and if that's you know, if you read that stuff and are a fan of that stuff, more power to you. But like, as a person who has only seen these movies uh that's all i'm working with here <laughs> right and again the movies are the prime text of the star wars universe they yeah just, they are this didn't grow the movies did not grow out of a tv series no so i mean you know you get to anakin skywalker and so the the things that that this movie needed to do the most which is to you know be a tragedy for anakin skywalker it it didn't succeed. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, we're not just talking about revenge of the Sith. We're talking about this whole trilogy is leading to Anakin Skywalker's downfall and it's handled very poorly. I mean, as I mean, that's just on top of all the flat, the fat this movie has in terms of like, I don't, why are you introducing general grievous? Also, <laughs> what is general grievous? What is general? What grievous? is general grievous? Is he a it, droid? Is he an alien? Is like, it took I don't me until this viewing to realize that there's like possibly an alien under there. Yeah, like for I a long time, I'm like, like, oh, he's a droid, but no, he has like a heart, but he's also an like, what is he? Also, why the fuck should I care? Yeah, <laughs> why does he have a cough? What? Yeah, why does why does he have a cough? 
why does he like you know for a dude who collects lightsabers apparently he sucks at using them he like he turned on like four windmill arms of lightsabers and then obi-wan was like eh and just cut off his arms <laughs> like it's uh, it's such a dumb fucking character to be introduced I will say at this that, stage that lightsaber fight is kind of fun though is it Obi-Wan versus Grievous? <laughs> yeah. And I I say this having watched the other two movies and not enjoying any of the lightsaber battles. You don't oh, you don't okay, yeah. I don't know. I just don't care. Like to me it's I the, mean the Darth Maul one is cool. Well, but. I think the same problem keeps cropping up with all the lightsaber battles, which is that you have no emotional investment in any of them. Like that's the whole thing. Like yeah. you know, the lightsaber battle in A New Hope between Obi Wan and Darth Vader is very simple. It's an old man, old Alec Guinness, <laughs> fighting a guy in a mask who has breathing problems, and they just kind of bounce their lightsabers off each other. Like it's not this highly choreographed thing. It's very mm-hmm. simple, but you're invested because you know these two characters know each other. There's history. One is going to sacrifice himself. Like there's a lot going on there. And none of the battles in the in the prequel trilogy have that. And the one that's supposed to have it, the one that needs to have it, Obi-Wan versus Anakin, is ridiculously bad. Yes. It's so freaking awful in every respect. It's poorly choreographed. It goes on forever. It has no it doesn't have emotional stakes. And then it ends with like a wet fart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he has the high ground now. Well then. I guess that's the end of it. And then he gets the high ground and then he still just fucking chops Anakin in half. (laughs) And Anakin's like, I hate you. Like he can't take the car out. You know, it's (laughs) it's so bad. Can't take the car out of teenager who's dad grounding him. Sounds Uh, grounded. Like you're, I hate you. You're not my real dad. (laughs) Real dad but then, was or Darth Plagueis, or who cares? Yeah, the only part of it that works even a little bit is Obi Wan saying you were the chosen one, which has uh, now been memed to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he just leaves him high and dry. He's like, I guess it's he's he probably dead. Yeah, you look pretty dead, Anakin. I'll just leave you roasting on the fire planet. Obi Wan out. You know what's a better? Um, lightsaber battle than anything in any of the prequels by like a billion years is anything in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. The, yeah. uh, the snow battle and the, thr- the uh, throne like, room, the throne room, of course battle. the throne room, which is my fa- personal favorite, um, which I find more, I haven't seen return of the Jedi in a while, but I, I would wager to say hashtag hot take the throne room is the best battle sequence in any of the Star Wars movies because of the stakes. I will say, here's the thing about Return of the Jedi, and not to get off on too much of a tangent, but fuck it, we're talking Star Wars. Um, the thing I really like about Return of the Jedi is everything involving Luke Skywalker. If it's Luke Skywalker's on screen, he has the real dramatic stakes of that movie. And yeah. everything with him and Darth Vader, like that is a psychological battle in the throne yeah. room. And everything in there is riveting. We cut back down to Endor and I fall asleep. <laughs> Endor sucks. I the hate bears, it. The bears. I, I don't even. It's not even. Like, I'm not even like. Oh, I hate. I hate the. Uh, you know the little teddy bears. Um, I. I don't. Everything that's happening. Like oh, I suddenly don't find Han Solo interesting. I don't find Leia interesting. Like they're just doing stuff. Like they're on this like kind of second rate mission. And I get yeah. like oh we got to you know we got to turn off the moon base, but. It's so boring. Yeah. 
Yeah, I need to revisit Return of the Jedi. I have not watched it in a very long time. Maybe, but, uh, maybe is this the birth of the miniseries where we talk about the <laughs> the original trilogy before the uh, before Rise of Skywalker comes out? I think we probably have to. Right? I think we have to. I think we have to talk a New Hope, Empire, and uh, and Return of the Jedi. Because I mean, it's really just a matter of supply and demand. There aren't enough podcasts of white dudes talking about Star Wars. So. No, absolutely not. There's us, and I think that's it. I think yeah. we're we're really the only ones. You can't go anywhere else down. for this for this rich material. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of which, back to Revenge of the Sith. Back to Revenge of the Sith. Um, yeah, it's just it's a film that. By the way. And speaking of things that just end abruptly, think about all, like, you know, Game of Thrones turned out to be actually a really good comparison point. Um, you knew how long this was going to take. Why are you rushing everything? You yeah. know how much time you have. Why are you rushing? It's not like, oh, by the way, we got to make room. Like, you know how much time you have. And instead, George Lucas is just hitting bullet points. Like, all right, um, so how do we wrap up the Separatist plot? I don't know. Anakin will just kill them. Okay, how did the Jedi die? I don't know. The clones, like, they had a special code, and then Laney said, execute the code. All the the great Jedi could get shot in the fucking back. (laughs) Which... I did like how... (laughs) So Yoda kind of sucks in the prequels, right? He really sucks. Um, So he has this battle with Sidious, and then he falls down. Um, and then he gets in the ship and then immediately as if he knows what happens in the original trilogy says, I have to go into exile. <laughs> like, he's like, all right, here's my line to explain where I go after this. I yeah. have to go into exile. <laughs> Yoda, Yoda's got a bail. He's not even like, it, it, like, uh, Sidious is still alive or, or not. The Sidious? What's the name? Yeah, Darth, Sid- Darth yeah. Sidious. It's the same. He's thing. not even like, that dude's so alive. Or like, what's going on with Anakin? He just goes, I have to go into exile. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or, you know, we'll so, so Obi-Wan is like, I have to hide these children from Darth Vader. Where should I hide them? Okay, well, we're going to put one on Alderaan. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he's not going to think to look at Alderaan. Okay, that's fine. Where should we the other one? We should put it with his immediate family. <laughs> I'll keep, so it, like, and I'll keep an eye on him from from because I'll be on the same planet. I'll put him with his immediate family, and Should also we give him like a different name or anything. No, no, no. Skywalker's fine. Luke Skywalker yeah. is how everyone knows him on <laughs> not just with his immediate family, but the planet that Darth Vader is from. <laughs> yes, this is going to work. <laughs> Which is, it, I mean, it's fine. Like, and this is the. The people who say, like, you know, George Lucas, when he sat down to make A New Hope, he knew exactly what was going to happen afterwards. He knew exactly what had happened before. He had this whole grand plan. No, he didn't. He did not. Uh, you can go back and look at the various drafts of A New Hope. Like they, Well, the they, episode four thing was added because he wanted to make it feel like the serials of old. It's not like, oh, I have three chapters in mind that I will tell you about. Like, no. He, he – it was – I don't I don't know if retcon is the right word, but he didn't have like a pre a fully formed prequel trilogy in mind. Yeah, he started formulating ideas after he made a new hope. But so and that's the problem with prequels is it has to connect and so you're like, well it doesn't really make any sense, but there's no other way to do it because that's where Luke was when we met him in A New Hope. Right. Um and when that movie was made, George Lucas did not know that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Um or when he was writing the script. I don't know exactly when he hit upon that idea. I think it was after A New Hope, right? I think it was after, yeah. 
but maybe not. I mean, I I haven't read the the I annotated screenplay in a while. I mean, Darth Vader means father, dark father. But that's the thing is that can mean a lot of things. Like father of darkness is, does not you know mean oh, but he is also the father of the protagonist. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. Knows? I mean, actually, people do know. I don't have that information with me at this moment. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's the thing. It's it's imperfect, uh, and it has to be because these movies were made decades apart um, and they weren't part of some grand plan. And I like it that way. Like that's, that's why a new hope exists. Like if a new hope had been every beat had been plotted out, it would have been a different movie. I like that. It just kind of exists as this thing. And even empire, um, you know, they weren't exactly sure how it was going to wrap up or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I, I, I don't understand, like these movies have a, have an order that they need to be watched in. Like, I don't get the people like, no, use machete order where you go one, two, four, five, six, three, like just, yeah, it, you know, the order it's four, five, six, one, two, three. And like, you can't watch the, the one, two, three. You can't watch the prequels first because they make no sense. No, they would make like, you would never understand. Like, why are we following this character? Like, it would be super weird. Like they're prequels. They are, they have, even though they chronologically come before the original trilogy, they exist because of that trilogy. You have to have that prior knowledge to have the investment that these movies require. Yeah. Yeah. And if you watch the prequel trilogy, I'm not sure you, or prequel. Yeah. Prequel trilogy. I'm not sure you would want to continue on. after yeah. that. And you can also watch, you know, and you can watch rogue one and solo whenever the fuck you want. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Matter. It doesn't matter. There's no like, Oh, you have to see solo before attack of the clones. No, you fucking, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. As a so, what were your thoughts on Revenge of the Sith when it came out after having experienced the disappointment of the first two? What what was your reaction? So, here's my Revenge of the Sith story. So, I was living in New York at the time. I was in college, and they were having, of course, midnight screenings of Revenge of the Sith. I have never. Usually up until that point, when you go to a midnight screening of something, you're like, I am going to the midnight screening because I want to be the first. I want to see that. I'm so excited. You go to a midnight screening because you're excited. That is the only midnight screening I've been to that I went to out of just what felt like obligation. Like <laughs> I, I remember standing in line and being like, I don't, I'm not even excited. I just, I want to just, just get this over with. Let's, <laughs> let's just watch it and be done with it. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, okay, this is moving really, this is moving so fast that I don't have time to process how bad it is. Like that was my experience watching revenge of the Sith for the first time. Cause it is a movie that like throws a lot of stuff at the screen. A lot of things are happening, but it's not like when you stop and think about it for five seconds, you're like, well, that doesn't have a lot, a lot of good setup or that's not paid off very well. Or why does that happen that way? Like it's not good storytelling, but it comes at you very fast. And, but even on this recent viewing, I'm like, this isn't even paced that well. I just like, now that I know what happens, I'm just like, now I'm just waiting this out. Like that rescue of Palpatine at the beginning of the film takes forever. Like I don't I had forgotten about that. It's so boring. Yeah. I don't really need, and we don't need to keep cutting back to be like, Oh, R2 is fighting off these bigger droids. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't need R2 to be like, Oh, you know, <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So it, I had forgotten about that whole sequence. And I was like, is this how it opens? Really? With this, like, kind of dumb... This kind of... Yeah, this kind of rescue mission that feels really boring. 
Well, and you also know that Anakin doesn't die. You know that Palpatine doesn't die. You know that Obi-Wan doesn't die. And you know that R2 doesn't die. So what are the stakes of that opening thing? Like, what's what's interesting about what's going on there? Yeah, I think it's meant to... I think it's trying to show you, like, how much Anakin has grown. Like, he's not the shitty little Padawan, but he's still, like, yeah. now he's just a shitty little Jedi. Like, it's still... He's still kind of arrogant and kind of, you know... I don't know. It doesn't... He's supposed to be a little more mature, but already we're back to the questions like, you know, does do people know he, you know, is in a relationship with Padme? Wasn't that forbidden? Like what has been happening? Like there's still all these questions. And also, as the movie continues, it really leans hard on something that Attack of the Clone does as well, where it's like, hey, Anakin and Obi-Wan are really tight. They're like brothers. No, they're not. (laughs) Like everything that happened between them that was important happened off screen. So when we're back here, they seem to not be able to stand each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really weird relationship. Anakin is just continually being dumb and stupid and petulant. Um, And Obi-Wan's just like, come on, man. Come on, dude. Yeah. Don't be that way. Ugh. Remember when the CGI, like, you know, air conditioner falls on Obi-Wan and (laughs) it looks completely weightless and it looks like garbage. Yeah, the effects in these movies are... are, They have not not aged very well. They aged... It's it's telling that the original trilogy, and yes, I know the original trilogy has had some... Has had work done on it over the years. But even then, like, with its, you know, quote-unquote basic effects, looks a lot better than the prequels do. Like, it hasn't aged as poorly as the prequels have. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching that on a tangent, the that Dark Crystal prequel series trailer the other day and seeing the puppets back and just imagining what it would be like with CG creatures and like the weightless weightlessness of that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what it feels like to have like some tangibility to what's yeah, going like, on. Yeah, like unless you're like unless you've got Weta money in there and you've got like Andy Serkis and Even everyone Even still, have you seen The Hobbit the Battle of the Five Armies? Well, that was made that was just rushed cheap garbage. Yeah. I'm talking like Oh, this is a character that needs to work or our movie doesn't work. Like you yeah. can like Warcraft, like that level of detail and and I still don't think that movie works great, but I like the effects in it. I think yeah. the Warcraft uh oak orc effects are really impressive. We should also do a podcast on Warcraft at some point <laughs> again because I'm very sure we talked about it, but man, Warcraft. I enjoy Warcraft way more than I enjoy the prequels. So Yeah, it's an enjoyable movie compared to these movies. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, with with Revenge of the Sith, I didn't even really enjoy the experience of it. It wasn't like, I, outside of the Darth Plagueis scene, I just, it's a movie that you can see how it's trying to work, but it never does. Like, oh, Anakin and, you know, is supposed to betray Padme, but it feels very abrupt. And, oh, he's supposed to, you know, fight to the death with Obi-Wan, but it doesn't have any emotion to it. And... Then he becomes Darth Vader, and like then, of course, you get no. You know, I now sound like James Earl Jones. Yeah, and so it's just, I you know, and then they're watching the fucking Death Star be built, and I don't really care about the Death Star. <laughs> the Death Star is kind of like this weird recurring thing in the Star Wars movies, and I don't think it's. I think mean, it's a nice, it's a nice weapon, but uh, I don't really. I, I don't look in it at, in awe, I guess. Which and it took them that long to build it. If you think about the time between Revenge of the Sith and it took Republic. yeah, it took a couple decades. And then aren't they rebuilding it in Empire already? Yeah, in Empire, it's way more finished, and that's yeah. only but yeah, I don't know. Maybe they 
once you know how to build a Death Star, it's easier to build a Death Star. Maybe, or maybe you know they're they're you know pre 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 manufactured Death Stars that you can buy. Yeah. From. The Death Star store. I don't know. Again, it's just so many things in service of making sure that it connects one to one with what happened after that, that just kind of messes it up. Like, again, like Padme kind of turns into an interesting character in Attack of the Clones Revenge of the Sith when she becomes like really politically active. And then it's like, well, but she has to die. Um, yeah, we can't we can't the- acknowledge where this character has gone because it must meet the plot beats that have been preordained. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just frustrating, and that's always the pitfalls in, in prequels, is, and that's why they're usually not a great idea. Um, the way to do it is like Temple of Doom, where it's like, yeah, we're not going to explain anything, um, but uh, you know, it's it's just going to be fun. And then I guess Last Crusade has that prologue, but it's so fun that you don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and also the whole prologue isn't the movie. It's not like, hey, here's yeah. River Phoenix for a whole movie as Indiana Jones, which honestly, as good as River Phoenix is, that might have worked. But you don't so good that if you go back and watch Last Crusade, you'll watch that and you'll be like, man, I you wish really... we could have gotten a movie. Yeah. Or I wish we could have gotten more River Phoenix in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's one of those like Heath Ledger that it just makes you really angry when you think about what we lost out on. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's not that I, I don't think a Star Wars prequels could never work. Um, but uh by the way, I wrote an article about why they shouldn't remake the prequels, but because of the headline was, should they remake the prequels? People just read the headline and were like, <laughs> damn you! How dare you even think of it? I'm like, I didn't say they should. I just, you know. You were but, like, wait, 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 hear me out. Remake the prequels, but with Ryan Johnson writing and directing. Everyone's <laughs> favorite, favorite guy, Ryan Johnson. I would watch the Every shit out of that. Guys. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. But, um,. No, I mean, they're like at the end of the day, like as much as we've complained, they are George Lucas's movies. They exist. They are, you know, I do find it interesting that I mean, now now that it belongs to Disney, he couldn't do anything anyway. But he never, ever tried to like tinker with the prequels the way that he had did with the original trilogy. Like he was never like, oh, let me add more stuff or let me do more things or try to clean this up. Like he's just like, these are the prequels. I think he got pretty upset uh, and pretty personally hurt by the reaction uh, from what I can gather and eventually was just kind of like, fuck it. Like, I'm done. That's kind of why he was done after it. He was just like, you guys don't like it? Like, I'm, this is, you know, I waited however many years to do this. So it's kind of sad. But as we said in the Phantom Menace podcast, like, we both agree. Like, I'm glad they exist. I'm glad they didn't. I mean, if those movies were made in this day and age, I would not be shocked to see, like, after Phantom Menace, you know, oh, maybe George Lucas has a co-writer or there's someone that's kind of like shadow directing on set. And then by the time you get to Revenge of the Sith, like, oh, George Lucas is only producing and they brought someone else in to direct, um, as happens with these very, very expensive properties. And as we've seen with stuff like Justice League um, uh, or God knows how many other productions that have had other directors come in to fix fix it. Solo, yes. Uh, That's another big one. Um, I mean, I just, I'm a fan of like, just let the artist do what the artist is going to do for better or worse. Do I like the Star Wars prequels? No, not really. Am I glad they exist? Yeah. I'm glad they exist in the form that they do. Um, I would much rather have one author's uninterrupted vision as opposed to multiple authors, like vision that's been corrupted by studio groupthink and whatever else. I I really can't think of a better note to leave it on than that one, (laughs) to be honest. Um, yeah, that was very well said. Um, do you want to move on to recently watched then? 
Let's move on to recently watched. Talk about some more cheery things. Yes, like like Chernobyl. <laughs> it's so not cheery. Um, it's the the I've been watching the I finally caught up with uh, Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries, um, which our own uh, I was about to say dearly departed Allison Keaton. She's not dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She just works at Paste now. <laughs> she works at Paste now. Uh, we're very sad about it. Um, but she reviewed and raved about it, um, but warned that it was a difficult watch. And it is in in some very key respects. Uh, it does not uh, cut any corners in showing you the horrors of what went down. Um, it's a miniseries that chronicles uh, the Chernobyl event in Russia, the, the meltdown of the nuclear power plant, uh, the explosion, and then subsequent me- meltdown. Um but larger than that, I mean, the episode, the first episode opens with the explosion. So you're following the aftermath and what happened after it and trying to piece together how it happened a little bit. But what I really love about the miniseries, and it's all uh, written by Craig Mazin, who wrote, like, Identity Thief and... Um, the Hangover sequels. The Hangover. Oh, yeah, he did. The Hangover sequels. He's known for comedy. He's not known for drama. But he does co-host the podcast Script Notes with John August. Um, and they talk quite frequently about how they both do a lot of script work in Hollywood, like script doctoring, uncredited work. So he must have experience doing stuff like that. Um, and then every episode is directed by a guy named Johan Renk. Uh, and it's it's very stirring. It's very – it's extremely compelling. The first episode is really, really well-structured um, because it, it focuses in on, on a bunch of different viewpoints and it does it really, really well to give you kind of an idea of what was going on. Um, Jared Harris plays – uh, a deputy director of uh, this institute who's brought in to help the clean up, clean up efforts. And Stellan Skarsgård plays this guy who's the Council of Ministers deputy chairman. So he's like a politician, basically, who's brought in. And what struck me about the event through watching this series is how Russia itself um, and the reputation of Russia played such a key role in it because they did not – this was you know in the midst of the Cold War – um, they did not want, uh, um, you know, bad news, bad things to get out. Uh, so they were trying to keep it all under wraps and pretending like this was no big deal to the point that the people who were there at Chernobyl were saying there's no way that the core is exploded. That's just impossible. Russian scientists would never make that mistake when it was clearly exploded. And so these denials and the kind of towing the party line and sticking to like the state run um, uh, stuff – um, if you can read between the lines here, there are a lot of parallels to what's going on today. Uh, it resulted in a lot of deaths, a lot of unnecessary deaths, a lot of unnecessary sicknesses, a lot of wasted time. Um, and it's showing kind of Jared Harris from the scientist perspective saying like, you're crazy, like this is what we have to do. And then the politician saying like, no, we're not doing that because that would be embarrassing to Russia or stuff like that. Um but it does a really good job of focusing on like the the men and women who gave their lives to it. Um, there's a, a really stirring sequence in episode four that involves getting graphite off the roof, which is extremely radioactive, in which they literally just used men going in in 90-second increments because they could not get a robot or anything else to work. Um, so these men can only spend 90 seconds up there because two minutes and the radiation cuts your life expectancy by half. Uh, kind of not telling them the full story and just being like, you have 90 seconds to go out there and you have to come right back in. Um, and that just happened all over the place during this Chernobyl cleanup. Uh, just a lot of misinformation of using the common man, using the worker to uh, kind of get things cleaned up and, and put back together. Um, 
it's very I mean, it's graphic in terms of showing the uh, effects of the nuclear radiation. Like, there's a lot of gore in it. Um, but I didn't particularly find it, like... It's not something where you, like, uh, like can't look at it. Um, or at least to me, as someone who, like... I don't watch a ton of horror movies, but, like, I can stomach um, some stuff. But it's meant to be upsetting, and it is upsetting. Um, but it's really, really well told. It's only five episodes, five hours. So... Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, I highly suggest checking it out. Cool. Yeah i i will I will try to give it a watch. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like it's it's kind of procedural, like in nature. Um, so it's very easy to watch in that regard. But then when you get to an episode where they're like having to go and like kill dogs, that's when the fast forward button becomes your buddy. Yeah. Uh, so fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. So for me, I just uh, earlier today I watched. Uh, Under the Silver Lake, the uh, new uh, David Robert Mitchell movie. Is it David Robert Mitchell or Robert David Mitchell? I can never get that right. David David Robert Mitchell. David Robert Mitchell, uh, who previously directed It Follows. Um, so this film was supposed to come out last year. It played at Cannes to a not great reception. And it's going to come out last summer. And then A24 bumped it. And then they bumped it again. And then they just kind of dumped it on VOD. And they're like, eh, no one needs to see this. And it's not a bad film, but I get why they dumped it. So the plot of the film is that uh, Andrew Garfield plays this aimless 30-something living in L.A. He's kind of a dirtbag. He doesn't, you know, he's someone who doesn't really care that much about anything except his own pursuits. And his pursuits mainly uh, entail trying to crack what he believes are hidden codes. That there is some, there is another level of messages out in the world that are being disseminated among sort of the secret class of people that the rest of us can't see, but he wants to crack it. And he becomes even more obsessed with cracking it when this uh, neighbor that he briefly knew uh, disappears. And so he becomes obsessed with finding her, not because he loves her or knows her as a person, but because he's obsessed with these codes uh, and sort of uh, finding the answers. And, so if you look at Under the Silver Lake as a neo-noir, it seems like, well, this seems a little weird. This doesn't really seem to gel. It may feel even a little bit like inherent vice. But if you look at it as a satire that is in the noir genre, it works really, really well. And what's being satirized are sort of crappy young guys who feel entitled to a world that they are never going to get. Um Katie Hasty, uh, who works at Entertainment Weekly, did a great job of breaking it down on Twitter uh, when she basically described it as Fight Club without Tyler Durden. Um, oh. This idea, basically, that there's a generation of men who believe that they would be rock stars and movie stars and billionaires, and it didn't happen for them. And they just believed that it would be handed to them, and it never was going to be. And when you look at it through that lens, Under the Silver Lake makes a lot of sense and it becomes very, very funny <laughs> because the way I would describe it is, so you know the scene in The Big Lebowski where The Big Lebowski, like for, you know, where the dude for like one moment tries to be a detective and so Jackie Treehorn leaves the room and he runs to the pad of paper and, and it sketches over it and he just sees a guy with a giant erection. That's under the Silver Lake. It's where you think if you just discover the answers, everything will click into place. And all it is is just a dude with a giant dick. Like the, the, the 
size of the mystery is juxtaposed against the banality of the of the of the information. And that juxtaposition makes for a really dark, absurd comedy. Um, and there's just a lot of great layers to this movie. And part of me wants it wishes where there was like an annotated version, but I feel like that would defeat the point, which is that, you know, you look for all these messages and things rather than just trying to live your life and like be a decent person. And instead you expect, you know, pop culture and, you know, to feed you a deeper level of meaning that isn't really there. And even if it is, it's not for you. It's not, you know, and, and just the directions this movie goes is really kind of fun and outlandish. And I love the way uh, Mitchell directs, the way his camera is kind of like a predator, the way it stalks around the room. Um, the score by Disaster Piece is great. Um, I just, it's a film that was very much on my comic wavelength. But again, no one wants to watch, not no one, but a lot of people don't want to watch Spider-Man be a dirtbag for two hours and 20 minutes. Like, that's not going to be a hit. Like, there's no way, like, I don't know why they picked it up, to be honest, because, like, it's not a film that, like, even though it has Andrew Garfield, it's not a film that's an easy sell um, by any stretch, especially when it's such a damning indictment of white dudes who have never, who just believe that everything is owed to them. Uh, it's pretty, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I can understand why it wasn't distributed, but that being said, it's now on VOD. It cost $5 to rent it. You should rent it and watch it and give it a shot. Interesting. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Yeah. I think you'll dig it. Uh, all right. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can follow me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next time.